I'm getting a lesson Wednesday night. We talked about how everything is pregnant with meaning in the world when you when you kind of come from the perspective of being who we really are. And I got my first lesson because the clock in the back said I came out at 11 precisely. My tablet said it was 11:03, and this one says I'm 10 minutes late. So time is meaningless. That's the bottom line. Right, whenever I start these lessons, I always for my own benefit, really, and it turns out to be for others, too, I like to remind myself of th the three most important things. And uh, you have to go along with that, because I'm the one with the microphone, apparently. So the first of those things is to set our hearts and our spirits to be sincere and earnest in our quest. Ramakrishna shares many, many times in the gospel uh, that the most important aspect of spiritual life is sincerity and earnestness, and that if you have that going on with yourself, God will take charge of your spiritual life and will bring you home, will bring you to your realization. So my prayer is always for sincerity and for earnestness. The second I took from Jesus in growing up with him and learning that the two most important uh, lessons or, or uh, laws in the universe are to love God as we love ourselves and to love each other as we love ourselves. And uh, oddly enough, Vedanta brought those two together for me. And so to have a commitment for love this morning, uh, that's a love for each other, for the person you're sitting next to, for the people in your mind this morning, the people you're concerned about, uh, between you and I, and uh, certainly between our beloved uh, and ourselves. To rest in that and uh, really for me the only successful talk is one that leaves us sitting and feeling like we've been with Thakur for a few minutes with Ramakrishna or your chosen ideal with Jesus as it were anybody uh, of that nature who knows the truth to sit and to imbibe that that spirit that oneness uh, that absolute unguarded uh, being with each other and the third is a commitment to truth Ramakrishna, when he was going through his practice of throwing out the opposites of the world, you know, good and bad, rich and poor, on and on, and saying, Mother, take them both and give me only pure love for you. When he came to truth, he said the first half and then realized he couldn't throw, throw truth away, uh, that it was necessary as a fundamental part of his practice. It was part of his essence. And so this morning, it's a commitment to truth. And I always am reminded, more so lately, uh, that truth really has two components. One, it's knowing the truth and speaking the truth, but equally as important for us as spiritual people, it's facing the truth. Uh, it's being willing to hear those truths that come up inside uh, when we're confronted with our weaknesses, our shortcomings, um, our problems, to be able to see them clearly and honestly and uh, to then let go of them, to take them, you know, to the divine and move on. And following that, I'm going to, to bring you to the feet of Hafiz, a Persian poet from the 15th century. He wrote a poem called, There is a Wonderful Game. And I like this one for this morning. There is a game we should play, and it goes like this. We hold hands, we look into each other's eyes, we scan each other's face, then I say, now tell me a difference you see between us. And then you might respond, Hafiz, your nose is at least 10 times bigger than mine. And then I would say, yeah, yes, my dear, almost 10 times. 
But let's keep playing. Let's go deeper. Go deeper. For if we do, our spirits will embrace and interweave. Our union will be so glorious that even God will not be able to tell us apart. There is a wonderful game we should play with everyone, and it goes like this. The topic this morning is, is that expansion of our self, of our lower self. It's an interesting idea, uh, partially because of how it was presented to be by uh, Swami Prabhudhananda, who just recently passed away up in San Francisco. You know, uh, one of, early on in my first, first, probably the first year in the monastery, one of our conversations was my concern that Vedanta seemed rather selfish. You know, that this, this, everything was about me and about my practice and this and this and this. And I, I was concerned that that, that that would just make me a very self-centered, navel-gazing, meditating person. And um, I was surprised when Swami Prabhudananda said, yes, yes, that's very true. He says, but the key is yourself is infinite. Make that self big enough to, to hold the people next to you, to hold the people around you. And he then laid out kind of a framework for how it works. You know, he said that in this world, we're kind of put in concentric circles uh, as a practice. We're in a laboratory and we're experimenting with this nature of ours, finding it, trying to understand it. And he says, you start with the inner circle, you know, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, your partner, you know, and you include them. First, they become a part of you, and you serve them as yourself. Their happiness becomes your happiness. Their pain becomes your pain. And you practice that until you've worked it out pretty well, till they feel that and understand that and believe that about you. And then you move on to the next level, maybe your friends that you've grown up with, you know, your classmates. And then you go to the next level, you know, the people in school, the person sitting next to you on the bus. That's actually probably one of the farther circles. But you just keep that self growing so that every day you add another circle, you know, if you're doing great. Otherwise, it's every year. <laughs> but keep adding to that circle. Make your outreach bigger and bigger so, so that e eventually everybody's happiness becomes your happiness. You can see that person sitting across from you on the bus. You can see them smiling, and you can feel happiness because they're smiling. Or you can see them in pain, and you feel that pain as your own. And you move accordingly. The inhibitions are gone. The fears are gone. That separation is gone. So we're going to approach this idea. How do we go farther? How do we find our beloved in ourselves? We're in a, a, an odd situation, and uh, it becomes odder, actually, the more I look at it. Uh, because Wednesday night I gave a or Tuesday night? Tuesday night I gave a class here, and uh, it was supposed to have nothing to do with this class today. <laughs> but as I was studying and kind of digging into the topic, uh, I think there's something here that the Master really wants to share, really wants us to know, because this... These ideas began intermingling and follow very much the same, the same pattern. We're in a situation where we feel like we have to do everything. When we want to build a temple, we have to get the bricks, the monies, the, the, the properties, we establish it, then we have to maintain it, keep it clean, 
expand it when it's time to expand, when more people come, you know, keep the walkways done. And it's this ongoing process. And it's like that in everything in life, even with our very bodies, you know, we have to continually feed the thing and clean the thing and dress the thing, you know, make sure it's looking the very best it can possibly look, you know, at all times. And, uh, you know, it's, we just, we're just on this, this uh, we're on a treadmill going, you know, seemingly nowhere. I mean, the earth is spinning, spinning, spinning. The seasons are coming and going. The days are coming and going. You know, you make your bed in the morning. You mess it up at night. You wash your dishes. You dirty them. Round and round it goes. But the reality is very different from that. So we're going to set a scene here. And our first role of this scene is that we have to actually change positions in your mind. You have to understand that you are not evolving. You are not changing. What is happening is that your mind is changing. Your mind is evolving because of its contact with you. Okay? So you're there in yourself. We are here in ourself. And we're looking through this mind. And this mind, because of its association with our perfection, because of its communion with our perfect love, because of its constant association with our purity and our natural love of the divine and all things around us, it is slowly growing up and being changed, slowly evolving to be as we are. So we're going to move into that place into that understanding. Vivekananda says the process of evolution, higher and higher combinations, are not in the soul. It is already what it is. They are in nature. But as nature is evolving forward into higher and higher combinations, more and more of the majesty of the soul is manifesting itself. Suppose there is a screen, and behind this screen is a wonderful scene of an infinite meadow. There is one small hole in the screen, and as that hole increases in size, more and more of the scenery behind comes within the range of vision, and when the whole screen has disappeared, there is nothing between the scenery and you. You see the whole of it. All right, what do you think that screen is? Anybody, just shout it out, be bold. What is the screen with the hole in it? Okay, that's one word for it. More concrete than that, sort of. <laughs> our perspective. Our, okay, our perspective. Yes, what gives you your perspective? Ego. Start, ego, okay. The word I'm looking for starts with an M. <laughs> mind, okay. There we go. All of those things that you said were right, but they're all aspects of mind. So we've set up the situation where we've got ourselves perfect, complete, pure, love divine, we're looking through a screen, this mind, your mind. So you're looking through your thoughts, okay? So make that adjustment in your mind. Your thoughts aren't you. They're not coming from you. They don't reflect what you're thinking. They don't reflect what you know. They don't reflect what you feel, what you think. They don't, they're not telling you what's right and wrong. They're just happening. Your mind is an organ. It's an organ of thought. You know, just like your sweat organs just sweat, that's their job. The mind releases thought, that's its job. One thought always follows the other. 
One is never unique. You cannot have a thought that was not directly related to the previous one. And this string goes on and on, and you are the light shining through it. And the projection of that light is the world around you. So what you see in this room has no existence beyond what you assign to it, what, you, what, you, what your light is creating of it. It has no meaning or importance in and of itself. You make it important or you make it not important. You love it or you hate it, based on your light shining through the mind. This screen is the mind of man, and behind it is the majesty, the purity, the infinite power of the soul. And as the mind becomes clearer and clearer, purer and purer, more of the majesty of the soul manifests itself. Not that the soul is changing, but the change is in the screen. The soul is the unchangeable one, the immortal, the pure, the ever-blessed one. The soul of my soul is the only true existence. My nature is my existence and will expand to me. So we're going to step in to that idea this morning. <laughs> you know, it's such an odd position when you, when you have to start talking about Vedanta because everything you say becomes untrue from a perspective and you, <laughs> you, you constantly find yourself having to shift. So we're not going to step into the idea. We're going to step behind the idea and look through it, <laughs> as it were. And we're going to understand that in this room we are one, that that, that beautiful, perfect soul, which is right now symbolized by this framing of Takur and Jesus and Ma and uh, Rama and all the others on the shrine. We are that beautiful, perfect soul that is so brightly manifested in our beloved ideals. And we're looking through our minds, which are in all different states. Every one of us in this room, crazy different states probably covering quite a gamut of entertainment, I would imagine. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be quite, <laughs> well, we probably shouldn't even go there. If we could see for a moment, kind of at a flashing across our foreheads, you know, a little digital running line of what our, what our thoughts are at the moment. You know, that's, that's one of the most difficult things, I think. Just to kind of share, you know, being up here is such an odd thing for me, kind of a, a very entertaining thing for me, actually. But uh, really the biggest struggle for, for, for me and for doing this kind of thing is really all of our struggle in the day-to-day, -day, and that's to try and step out of the way enough so that you can have at least one honest projection of the soul, you know, so that you can have at least one pure thing spill out, you know, from inside and not, not be censored, you know, not be adjusted on the way through, on the way through the screen. So that we can we can catch a glimpse, you know, in each other of the, of this divinity. So that we can catch a moment of authenticity, catch a moment of realness with each other. And one of the implications of that is in the way that we look at each other, the way we spend time with each other. We should anticipate that when we look at each other. We should stop looking at each other's screens and reacting to the screens. You know, we should, we should stop looking at each other's moods, stop looking at each other's beauty or hideousness or messed up hair or beautiful hair, whatever it turns out to be. Stop seeing that in each other. Look through the screen. Look through it. Look into the eyes. Look into the eyes and see your beloved there. See the divine there. 
you know, make that the practice. Because we get caught up in this confusion, and, and the confusion is very simple, uh, at least according to Vivekananda. Vivekananda says, acting in the external world, maya manifests itself as two powers, only two powers, the powers of attraction and the power of repulsion. In the internal, its manifestations are desire and non-desire. The whole universe is trying to rush outward. Each atom is trying to fly off of its center. In the internal world, each thought is trying to go beyond control. Again, each particle in the external world is checked by another force, the centripetal, and drawn toward the center. Similarly, in our thought world, the controlling power is checking all of these outgoing desires. So you see we have something going on here. We've got things that we like that we're pulling toward us, things that we don't like that we're pushing away from us, and that's being reflected even in the thoughts going through our head. Everything that we're doing in our life, we're trying to be free. We're trying to make enough money so that we can stop trying to make money. We're trying to be so beautiful that we can stop worrying about being ugly. You know, we're trying to be so strong. We're trying to be so young that we can just forget about being old. Everything that we're trying to do all day long, every day, is trying to find a secure manifestation of freedom. Because that's what we are. That's what we know ourselves to be. That's why we can't stop it. Every single song we sing is about our nature. I don't care what the lyrics are. Every song ever written was about the nature of the divine within. Love songs by the dozens fill the waves of the air every day for us. You know, singing love for that and love for this because love is everything. We know it's the very center of everything. And our problem is that we feel like we're the screen. So we have to get that image up there. We have to build love. You know, we know ourselves to be eternal, so we have to build youth. We know ourselves to be infinitely attractive, so we have to manifest that infinite attractiveness, you know. And the odd thing is, is if you just let go and understand you are already that, all of those things would happen of their own accord. And you would see it in the eyes of the people that have discovered this truth about themselves. The place we're going to go to test our location at all times is a statement that I've heard again and again from one of the swamis here at the center. I've heard it this week at least three times and probably five times a week before that. He's going through some very, very tough times with his family right now. And he, on a couple of walks this week, has said he's been struggling with something he read in the Gita. God is everywhere and always perfect. God is everywhere and always perfect. And he says that has made him want to scream so much. His mother's in the hospital, you know. She's not doing well. And he says God is everywhere and, every, and always perfect. So in this situation, God is everywhere and it is perfect. He says, how much do I have to wrestle with that? How hard do I have to try and find that space where I can see that perfection and see that truth? So this is our touchstone, that phrase right there. Everything that you engage in in a day, approach it with that knowledge. God is everywhere and everything is perfect, always perfect.
And until you have that perspective, you haven't found your nature. Until you understand that reality, no matter what the severity of the situation might be, you haven't found your nature. You haven't understood the fundamental of what and who you are. So it will force you to expand, because you'll have to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger for that truth to be evident. You will have to constantly take into, into, into consideration the feelings of more and more people. You will have to constantly take into consideration the effects of your actions to more and more people and things around you, and to yourself. You'll have to consider the effects of the things you're putting in to your body more and more and more to get that truth to become evident and self-sustaining in you. This power, this purity, this strength that is in that soul, they are unmanifested. They have become manifested. What is meant by this manifestation or unmanifestation? That each soul is pure and perfect, omnipotent and omniscient, as they say in the Shankya, but it can manifest itself externally only according to the mind it has got. The mind is, as it were, the reflecting mirror of the soul. My mind reflects to a certain extent the powers of my soul, so your soul, so everyone's. That mirror which is clearer reflects the soul better, so the manifestation varies according to the mind one possesses. But the souls in themselves are pure and perfect. I've mentioned this on, on, Wednesday, on Tuesday in that class. One of the most beautiful things to me about this philosophy is that it gives you the basis to be able to respect everybody. From the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, you can respect everyone because you can start from that point of knowing that you are one in the same, that it is a perfect and divine soul manifesting through a lampshade before you. So you don't have to see people as ignorant or smart. You don't have to judge them by income or, or criminal record or <laughs> you know, any of those levels. You can start with oneness. You can honor them as that first and go from there. You know? So you have that place in common. I find that beautiful. I find that refreshing as a spiritual seeker, you know, somebody who's often called a religious person which makes me shudder, you know, this. Because <laughs> you know, I have to say, sometimes, in, in, in my life anyway, religious people have been some of the meanest people I've ever known. You know, it's like, so <laughs> sorry, sorry to say that, but uh, yeah. so it's refreshing to me that, that, that that's not by design, that's by fault. And so we, we can know that that's not the truth we're after, that we have a oneness and a beautiful thing that we can see first in each other and start with respect, always, always new, always respectful. Man is infinite, and this limitation in which he exists now is not his nature. But through these limitations, he is struggling upward and forward until he reaches the infinite, the unlimited, his birthright, his nature. We have to become discontent in a sense, for where we think we are. We have to get uncomfortable with the equilibrium, the tentative equilibrium that we maintain in a day, 
that kind of keeps us in a state of unawareness, a state of semi-sleep, you know. As long as we're not too mean to people, we're all right, you know. <laughs> as long as we're making just enough money to keep ourselves fed and the rent paid, we're all right. You know, as long as we're not outrightly horrible to people who have less than us, or even better, if we can just kind of hang out with people who pretty much have what we have, we just don't have to think about any situations beyond that. You know, we've, we've come to a place of sort of a tentative because it can always, you know, there's always that fear inside of losing the job or, you know, getting hit by a car or, you know, getting sick or finding another wrinkle. You know, there's, there's all these terrors <laughs> that threaten that equilibrium. But we need to look hard at that. That's where truth comes in and understand that that will always be tentative. That equilibrium will never be permanent as long as it's based on those things. That it's not okay to have reached a state of comfort there. But to go beyond that and use that motivation to go forward. So we need to change and have the right orientation because this universe is designed to bring you home. It's designed, if you're paying attention and if you're aware, to bring you to your own realization. Vivekananda puts it in this, in this phrasing. He says, as a man having a book in his hand reads one page and turns it over and goes to the next, reads that, turns it over, and so on, yet it is the book that is being turned over, the pages that are revolving, not the man. He's where he always is, even so with regard to your soul. The whole of nature is that book which the soul is reading. Each life, as it were, is one page of that book, and that read, it is turned over, and so on, and so on, until the whole of the book is finished. And that soul becomes perfect, having got all the experience of nature. Yet at that same time, it never moved, nor came, nor went. It was only gathering experience. The earth is moving, but it doesn't seem like it. We're spinning around the sun. I had these numbers a while back. We're spinning around the sun at like 3,000 miles an hour, and we're spinning around an equator, and then that sun is spinning around the center of the galaxy, and that galaxy is spinning around a nebula somewhere else. It's like all of this movement, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles in an hour in a million different circles, we're moving like that at this very moment, and not one of you is clutching your seat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am at least in a box. <laughs> You know, but we're not. So it, you see how we can get lulled into a false perception. Everything lines up to make us think that we're perfectly still, and until I get up, I'm not moving. But that's not the case at all. And so it is with our life. So we have to readjust and take a look. This world around us is not just a not just a thing where stuff is going on. It's a book, and it's a book that's meant to bring you to realization. And so you should read it more carefully than you read your physics book or your, your chemistry book. <laughs> you should sit there, pay attention to every page that passes, each thing that happens to you. Analyze it. God is everywhere, always perfect. God is everywhere, always perfect. And interpret the reading of the book in that way to give everything meaning. Everything becomes intensely beautiful intensely uh, uh, sublime, I mean, the, the profundity of living a life, or living even a minute, you know, if you're not going for a life at this point, at least go for a minute <laughs> of living in that kind of reality. To go outside and, and stand there when everybody's having coffee, you know, I can see it, everybody's going to be standing out there not talking to anybody, because going to be looking around. But while everybody's having their coffee and their donut, sitting there talking, look around. God is everywhere. 
and always perfect. God is everywhere and think of the implications and the first person you talk to, talk to them like they're God and that they're perfect. And in that moment, they're a lesson for you. What can you learn from them? What are you teaching them? What's happening? What's the real text in this page right now? Open, open those ears, open that understanding. All of these combinations and recombinations and manifestations that we see around us are not the aim or the goal. They're merely the way and in passing. These combinations as earths and suns and moons and stars, right and wrong, good and bad, our laughter, our tears, our joys, our sorrows, are to enable us to gain experience through which the soul manifests its perfect nature and throws off its limitation. All the things happening to you this week, <laughs> all the stuff you're going through, some of you it would be great, I imagine. Some of you probably had a pretty terrific week. And some of you probably just barely made it to Sunday. <laughs> you know? Some of us wish we were still in bed hiding under the covers, you know. <laughs> all these things. But everything that happened to you this week was to bring you to freedom to break beyond your limit, to know that you are not bound, to rip that hole in your screen just a little bit more, a little bit more, so that you, who you are becomes more and more evident, more and more manifest, so that you can begin moving your furniture out of this temporary trailer park that you're living in into that infinite mansion of divinity, <laughs> as it were, to spend your time there you know, to spend your time there looking out of those windows, you know, not down. You know, in San Francisco, one of the things specialized about San Francisco real, real estate is that the higher up the hill you go, the more expensive the apartments get. And the lower in the hill, the less expensive they get. And it's the same way if you go from the ocean here. It's actually kind of funny because it's the opposite here. The closer to the ocean you get in San Francisco, the cheaper the houses. The farther away from the ocean you get, the more expensive they are. That's because Ocean means fog in San Francisco. It means year-round cold. <laughs> so here, we're, we've got to move out of these, these lower valleys of existence, you know, these, these, these cheap homes these, that, that we're identified with, that we're limited by, where we've only got one bedroom that we share with three people, or maybe as bad as it gets, and spend more time in the mansion that, that is yours. Understand that, see that, be that that everything is a matter of degree. In and of themselves, this world is meaningless. You know, it is you that brings it meaning, makes it important. The soul has gone beyond all law, beyond all limitation, beyond all nature. Nature has come under the control of the soul and not the soul under the control of nature as it thinks it is now. If we take that out to its nth degree, this idea of being free, of being behind a screen, we begin to understand that this screen, this, this representation of us, this, this symbol that we live in, the symbol of you know, your, your body, your name, your rank, your family, whatever it is, these, are, these, these become symbols of your state of manifestation, you know? They become symbols of the divine behind you. They become living and moving images of a shrine, as it were. They become the picture of Takur, 
the cross of Jesus in a church. They become, they become the symbols of the divine. And as you begin to understand that and begin to see that about yourself, you'll treat yourself first that way inside, which is very important. If you don't see that self in yourself, you can't see it in others. If you can't forgive yourself, you can't forgive others. If you can't encourage yourself, you can't encourage others. If you can't move forward, let go of the past yourself, you can't do it with others. You know, so begin that worshiping process first in your mind. Make sure that each of your thoughts successively makes you stronger and doesn't break you down. Make sure that, that each thing you put in your mind, through your ears, through your eyes, through your mouth, that each thing you put in there makes you stronger, makes you more divine, and doesn't break you down. And when you've got that going on, it will happen around you. It will happen around you. There is no part two. You don't have to then learn to do it to everybody else in the room. If you're doing it properly to yourself, you will naturally do it properly to everybody around you. You will naturally become loving. You will naturally become compassionate. You will naturally begin to care, to reach out, to be concerned, to love. It's your nature. It's who you already are. Your hole will be big enough for that light to come out of at last. The mind will not break you down. Therefore, all love is life. It is the only law of life. All selfishness is death. And this is true here or hereafter. It is life to do good. It is death not to do good to others. Nothing else is necessary but these. Love, sincerity, and patience. These are the three things necessary to measure your spiritual life and your progress, your love, your sincerity, and your patience. Vivekananda then begins to lather up here. He gets going. He says, feel, my children. Feel, feel, feel for the poor. Feel for the ignorant, the downtrodden. Feel until the heart stops, till the brain reels, and you think you will go mad. Then pour your soul out at the feet of the Lord, and then will come power. Then will come help and indomitable energy. Struggle, struggle, struggle was my motto for the last 10 years. Struggle still, I say. When it was all dark, I used to say struggle. When light was breaking in, I still say struggle. Be not afraid. Look not up in the attitude of fear toward the infinite starry vault as if it would crush you. Wait, in a few hours more, the whole of it will be under your feet. Wait, money does not pay nor name, fame does not pay nor learning. It is love that pays. It is love that pays. It is character that cleaves its way through the adamantine walls of difficulty. Open that heart to the point of being mad. Isn't it just fear that keeps us from doing that, that sense of other, <laughs> that thing that keeps us from just being friendly to everybody, that fear of what they're going to think, of how they're going to react, or they're actually going to need something, or <laughs> I'm actually going to have to give some help, you know, go out of my way. 
Those are the things that keep us shut up, that keep us behind our fences, that keep us locked down, that keep us unhappy, <laughs> unhappy. Let go of that. It is love alone that pays. Don't let your senses define things. Don't let this screen determine who you are, what you feel, and what you think. You know, when you get up in the morning, don't let that be the first consideration. Oh, God, I'm so tired. Tired has nothing to do with you. You're infinite, ever free, ever pure. You will be looking through eyes infinitely. Infinitely. You define, you remember what you are and let the senses act accordingly. You remember who you are. You remember what you are and let the mind align itself accordingly. It does not define you. How you feel is irrelevant. What you think is irrelevant. Be who you are and you will think what needs to be thought. You will do what needs to be done. Infinite will be the energy behind it. Everything will be perfect. God is everywhere. There is to be found in every religion the manifestation of this struggle toward freedom. It is the groundwork of all morality, of unselfishness, which means getting rid of the idea that men are the same as this little body. Getting rid of that idea. <laughs> Just toss it. <laughs> Don't lessen it. Just get rid of it. When we see a man doing good work, helping others, it means that he cannot be confined within the limited circle of me and mine, which gets ever smaller. There is no limit to his getting out, to this getting out of selfishness. All the great systems of ethics preach absolute unselfishness as the goal. Supposing this absolute unselfishness can be reached by a man, what becomes of him? He is no more little Mr. So-and-so. He has acquired infinite expansion. The little personality which he had before is now lost to him forever. He has become infinite. And the attainment of this infinite expansion is indeed the goal of all religion, all morality, and all philosophical teachings. This freedom, this expansion. You know, at this time, we're such small beings, we think, you know, we see ourselves so little because we take care of such a small circle of needs. Our vision of ourself is so confined. And then you look at somebody who's managed to break out of that. You look at a Mother Teresa, you know. You look at, you look at a Gandhi, you know, regardless of the political implications. You just, you look at somebody who had an ideal and spent on it, paid the price of having that idea, paid the price, willing to give. And were they starving? Did it hurt them? Did it, did it, did it make them smaller? Did it destroy them? No, it put their name in every one of our hearts, in every one of our minds. We know who they were. We've heard of them. We've understood them. That is, that is what all of us have the potential of, to the degree that you believe it. I've mentioned this so many times, and I always love it so much. Sri Nishargadatta, a saint from Bombay who, who, sold, who made and sold cigarettes, which I love. I, <laughs> 
one of his American devotees was asking him some questions and said, uh, you know, one of his biggest puzzles, and I know you've heard this before, but bear with me because I have to go through it again. He says, he says, look, I know you're enlightened and I'm not. Okay, I get that. But we're both sitting here. You're an old man who makes cigarettes. I'm a tourist traveling around asking you questions. What's going on? What's, what's the difference between you and me? What's the difference? And Srinishagatata smiles at that time and says, there's only one. When my teacher told me that I am that, I believed him. <laughs> I believed him. It's just a matter of that this morning. You don't have to do 92 more hours of meditation. <laughs> you don't have to memorize six more scriptures by Thursday. You, know, you don't have to read another book on how to. You just have to believe that when the Bible or when the scripture, when, when Ramakrishna, when Jesus, when Buddha says, you are infinite, you're ever pure, ever free, made of divine love, just believe it. Know it to be the truth. And let it manifest. When your body goes to love somebody who's not convenient to love, let it. When your mind begins to reach out to somebody who's not convenient to be reached out to, let it. Go. Go. The strength comes. Vivekananda says he found that always true. No matter what he spent, no matter what he gave, there was more. He never ran out of things to say to help. Never ran out, ran out of energy to serve. Just go. Just believe it. Just let go. And as you do all of this, you've got to let go of your motives. <laughs> we cannot do it by work, Vivekananda says. None of this will count for anything. If you help a million people today, it means nothing, except that you helped yourself a million times to reveal that infinite light inside. Work will produce more work. It is only possible if there is someone who is free himself and lends us a hand. Hear ye, children of immortality, all those that reside in this plane and all those that reside in the heavens above. I have found the secret, says the great sage. I have found him who is beyond all darkness. Through his mercy alone, we cross this ocean of life. The soul attains to it perf its perfection, becomes omnipotent, omniscient. This is the worshiper. Who is the worshipped? He, the Lord, God himself. He is love. How is the soul to attain this perfection? By worship. By worship. Worship involves that sense of awe, that sense of surrender, that sense of wonder. That sense of divinity, you know, to, to uh, when you read the gospel and you just see the playfulness of, of Ramakrishna, the master, you see the way he spoke and the joy that was always in the room, the number of times they laughed together, the strange things that they did, <laughs> that they did together. You know, especially from Western perspectives, it's a real delight what, what the, the master's relationship with each of the people that came to see him, you know, to try and understand that. 
and the profundity that that begins to take on as you begin to see and imagine that this man really was a direct manifestation of, of something so pure, so like God that you couldn't tell it apart. And you begin to think, you begin to play, you know, you, perhaps you get to go to India and, and sit in that room and just try and remember, try to visualize. Worship happens. Worship happens. You know, when you, when you confront yourself with these highest ideals, when you confront yourself with these beautiful ideas of love and service and caring and compassion, worship happens. And it even happens on the inside, when you sit there in meditation and you find that stillness of the mind. And you've woken up enough of your thought to become aware that there's a profound thing happening there. That in this space somewhere, life is meeting material. The spirit is energizing matter. That somewhere in here, the size of a thumb perhaps, those two are touching. And you, this, this place where things happen, is the result. And when you sit there with that, worship happens. Worship happens. A sense of wonder is kindled, and your life begins to manifest that. That is the way that the soul attains its perfection, by recognizing the wonder of that stillness, by exposing itself to the infinity of an ideal, to the highest concepts of love that the mind can muster. It is clear that the whole universe is a case of struggle to expand, or in other words, to attain liberty. This infinite space is not sufficient for even one atom. The struggle for expansion must go on eternally until perfect liberty is attained. It cannot be said that this struggle to gain freedom is to avoid pain or to attain pleasure. The lowest grade of beings who can have no such feeling are also struggling for expansion. And according to many, man himself is the expansion of these very beings. This infinite space is not sufficient for even one atom. You know what that's saying? <laughs> as long as you keep trying to just be the projection of who you are, as long as you are tied into the idea of being your thoughts, being your body, being your mind, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. You cannot paint a picture of infinity. No matter how long you spend trying, no matter how big that canvas is, no matter how many buckets of paint you're given, you won't be able to do it. You have to tear a hole in that screen and look through it at the infinite universe. <laughs> That's the only way. That's the only way. So how do we do this? We struggle. We practice. We work. And then by the grace of the divine, we see. We understand. But forward we go, and forward we must, ever higher, ever purer, ever greater our vantage point becomes. That's the challenge. That's where we've got to call each other. That's where our responsibility to each other begins. To become tools for one another. To inspire each other. To think about ways of helping each other. So that none of us feels alone. 
that no one in this room today will leave without feeling like somebody helped them or cared or was thinking about them or will think about them this week. Do practical things like that. Take Vedanta off the screen. Open the hole a bit and shine out a little bit and treat each other that way today. Start this as your circle. Make a decision today when you, before you leave that you'll pour someone else's cup of coffee. <laughs> that you'll go up and talk to somebody for no reason other than to find out about their struggle, what's going on for them. Make it practical. Expand your circle one person at a time. And let's find our way home together. <laughs>